Hello, and welcome to Simple Pursuit, the teaching ministry of Coastal Oaks Church in Rockport, Texas. It is our prayer that you will grow in grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ, and that you will be blessed and challenged as you listen in. Grab your Bible, because here is today's teaching. Take your Bible and open to 1 Thessalonians, chapter 2, chapter 3. We're going to be at the end of chapter two and work through chapter three this morning. I have a question for you, and that's just simply, what is it that unites us together as the church? This morning, we'll start a new series that'll take us through the end of the year called Foundations. Picks up on last year's uh, series, Working Through the Old Testament. Our D groups have been working through the New Testament this year. We do have reading lists available if you would like to track um, with where we're going now. In case you have not been, uh, they should be out there. It's a little uh, in landscape form, uh, front and back, uh, and it has a reading plan for five days a week. If you'll pick up now, you'll pick up uh, this week in 1 Thessalonians, and you'll read through the rest of the, of the year, and you'll be right on track where our D groups are. Our life groups are tracking with each Sunday sermon as well, so we'd encourage you to find a life group and uh, join in with one of those. Um, and uh, we have one that meets uh, this morning, in fact, right after our service is concluded. And it would be blessed, they'd be blessed to have you uh, in there. This morning, as we look at this, we think about the book of the Thessalonians, the letter to the first Thessalonians, or Thessalonian church uh, in Thessalonia. The major theme for this in the five chapters of this little letter is simply this to persevere and live godly lives while awaiting for the day of the Lord. Persevere, live godly lives while awaiting the day of the Lord. Paul wrote this letter because he, and you pick it up once you hit chapter four, really. Uh, it is a theme you'll hear throughout that phrase, the day of the Lord. But what you're going to pick up if you continue after chapter three, and especially chapter four and five, is that Paul is very concerned that the Thessalonians have believed a false teacher or a series of false teachers that have said, uh, sorry, church, you missed it. The day of the Lord's already happened. He's already come back. The rest of you're on your own. And, and they were afraid they had missed the second, re, the second coming of Christ, right? Like nobody, you don't want to miss that. Because if you miss that, well, there's a certain end for you that's not very promising. And so they, Paul is writing to correct that with the Thessalonian church to say, no, it hasn't happened. And that's where you hit into chapter four. Until you get to chapter four, Paul is very concerned that they continue to persevere even in the midst of trouble and in the midst of trials. Why do we continue to push on? Why do we press on? Why is Paul, that's a constant theme, you know, for all of the churches that Paul writes to, is to press on. It's because deep in Paul's heart, deep-seated in his faith, is what he writes in chapter five, verse 24 of this letter, when he says, he who calls you is faithful, he will surely do it. Do what? He will finish what he started. If he's promised to come back, he will come back. He has not come back yet, but he will come back. You'll know when he comes back because the trumpet of the Lord is going to sound and on that day and the dead in Christ will rise first. But the one who started this is faithful. He is going to finish it. There's so much you can unwrap just in verse 24. But where we pick up today uh, in the middle of or at the end of chapter two into chapter three, it captures a moment when the gospel had come to the pagan and godless city of Thessalonica. It's a Greek city. There's lots of Romans. There's lots of Greeks. There's lots of mixtures of cultures. There's a very uh, prominent uh, uh, 
population of Jews there. In fact, that's where Paul and Silas and Timothy had spent about three Sabbaths preaching the gospel. Um, And there are people there who come to the faith, obviously, because there's a church there. But when, as it happened in other times in Paul's travels, when he began preaching the gospel, there always comes opposition to the church, mostly from the Jews. And so they gathered up, the Jews gathered up a crowd to start a riot, causing a stir about Paul and Silas and Timothy. No doubt, of course, they're just protesting, but they attack the house of Jason looking for Paul and Silas. That happens in Acts chapter 17. Making their appeals to the local authorities based on Caesar, they charge this group. Some of those charges might have been treason, false worship of this God other than Caesar, So they let Jason go, but they let Jason go because Paul and Silas and Timothy escape. Immediately that night, Paul and Silas, Timothy, they left for a place known as Berea. A few months have passed by. Paul is concerned for that body of believers, a new body of believers, a church plant in Thessalonica. And so he sent Timothy to encourage them and to check on them. When Timothy comes back, with good news that the church was doing well, we find this letter, this first letter to the church of Thessalonica being written. That's the backstory to the passage this morning. On January 15th, 2010, one year after the crash landing in the Hudson River, the passengers and the crew of US Airways Flight 1549, you'll know it as Sully's flight, returned to New York for an anniversary celebration. In subsequent years, they continue to gather again. It is that one dramatic event, though, that they all have in common. Prior to that, they were all just like pretty much any normal flight that you go on these days. You don't know anybody. If you're flying out of a small airport, maybe you know somebody, but most of the time, you don't know anybody. You're with a bunch of strangers, 150 to 200 strangers you never know, and there's probably very little that you have in common. But this day, this event sealed them for the rest of their lives that one dramatic event. Lucille Palmer of Brooklyn said, being here is so wonderful because we are family now. Those kind of shared experiences, especially traumatic experiences, tend to bond strangers together. Families, though, families share more than a six o'clock news event. We, as a family, have substantial bonds with one another, where we share life together, where in our daily lives, some ebb and flow up and down, some moments are crazy and harrowing, other moments are low-key and mundane, ordinary, but it is the sharing of our lives in Christ that make us family. It is Christ, actually, that makes us family, but as we share that in Christ, we are brothers and sisters in Christ. That's what unites us and ties us together. Look at verse 17 in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. Paul writes to the church of his love for the church, and because of his love for the church, we are called to walk together. Listen again, he says, but since we were torn away from you, brothers, for a short time in person, not in heart, we endeavored the more eagerly and with great desire to see you face to face because we wanted to come to you. 
I, Paul, again and again, but Satan hindered us. For what is our hope or joy or crown of boasting before our Lord Jesus at his coming? Is it not you? For you are our glory and joy. Paul has a love for the church. And in that love for the church, he sees them, though separated by distance, walking together. Friends, we are together. And we are to love the church. And as we love the church, we are called to walk together in this life. Local opposition to the gospel compelled, as we read, as we heard from Acts 17, that opposition to the gospel compelled the church to send Paul and Silas away, but them being sent away did not affect Paul's love and concern for that church. He is deeply concerned about the Thessalonians' faith, as any pastor would be of his congregation. And as we work through that this morning, you're going to hear this phrase repeated at least five times, your faith. It's not Paul's faith, it's the church's faith. He is concerned about their faith. How is your faith? I sent to learn about your faith. Paul was kind of their church planting pastor, their missionary. But he's also their spiritual father, if you will, in the faith. He's the one that brought them to Christ. And even though he and Silas are gone, the Thessalonians are a priority for Paul. You so pick that up as you read through it. But friends, the mark of a healthy church is that we remain concerned for one another. Even when there might be some bickering or some debate about an issue, we remain concerned for one another. It's not just so that we're keeping up with the Joneses or that we stay in the middle of the rumor weeds so we know what's going on in the church. But rather, being driven by the love of Christ, it is the love of Christ that compels us to care for one another and compels us to shoulder these burdens together. Paul had made every effort, he says, to get back to them. This is just a couple of months down the road. Every effort to get back to them. And he was certainly eager to see that happen. But if you go back, you'll see again that he had someone standing in his way. The old enemy and adversary. We'll talk about him in a moment. But if you look at chapter 2, verse 13, you'll see why he loved them so much. He says this. We, thank, we also thank God constantly for this. Continuous thanksgiving. That when you receive the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it. Not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you, believers. If you go back even further in chapter 2, in verse 4, Paul is talking about his own behavior as an apostle and as a missionary, as a preacher of the word. He says, just as we've been approved by God to, uh, to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak not to please man, but to please God who tests our hearts. And then you go to flash forward to verse 13, and you see that they received the word not as Paul's word, but as God's word. That's why Paul loved them so much. They've got a great start. When you see this word as God's word, and this is the foundation of the walk, and this is the foundation of the love for the church and why we walk together and how we walk together. They got a great start. 
It was their response to the gospel. They understood it as the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. It is the word of God that was at work in them. So if you struggle loving the church, let the word of God work in you. Let him have his space. Let him have all of the space and let him lead you to love and walk with the church. Because his word is still at work in you this morning. The word of God from the living and true God. You see, the Thessalonians were people who were steeped in idolatry. Thousands and thousands of gods they would have called out to. Gods that were made of wood or stone or precious metal. But gods that never would have responded. Gods that would have never given them a word back. That was true and inerrant without any mixture of error that would have led them down the paths of righteousness for his namesake or for the little God's namesake. Their gods were not like that. And now you see that life change has come. Life change has come because they're listening to the living God and the living word and it's changing their hearts. But yet Paul is still concerned about their faith. What is it that ties them together? It is the faith in Jesus Christ as the foundation. In chapter 2, verse 14, he calls them brothers. That's family. Some of us might say la familia. It's family. It's a deep tie. In Hawaii, we call it ohana. It's easier for me to say. But it's a deep tie in Christ that binds us together as we walk through life together. It is the love of Christ that binds us together. It is that agape love that Paul calls husbands to love their wives with, that self-sacrificing love that we walk through this life together as exhibited by husbands and wives in the letter to the Ephesian church. Why couldn't Paul get back? Well, he says because the old enemy and adversary is hindering him. Now, he can't attack everybody at one time, but certainly his minions are sent out to stir up trouble. The precise details of what Paul is talking about in this moment is not mentioned. He doesn't go into any detail. He just says Satan is hindering him. But he's not able to hinder Timothy's going, and so Timothy is able to go. Though distance separated them, the enemy and the adversary could not change Paul's love for the church. Look again at verse 19. For what is our hope? our joy or crown of boasting before our Lord Jesus Christ at his coming. Remember, they thought they had been taught it had already happened, but when it comes, Paul's already correcting them. At his coming, what is our hope, our joy, and our crown of boasting before the Lord? Is it not you? You, church, you are our glory and our joy. What words Paul writes And what an outlook in a desperate situation when the church was under attack. That the crown that is referenced here is the one like an athlete would wear. You might be familiar with that imagery. A a crown because they're the champion and celebration of the victory. The overcoming of the enemy. And at the coming of Christ, at the day of the Lord and his return, the Thessalonians are Paul's hope. The Thessalonian church are his joy and his crown of boasting. Because they are the fruit of his ministry as an apostle of Christ. Paul was constantly having to defend himself as an apostle. And the churches that started under his tenure 
under his preaching. Yet he's looking to the Thessalonians as that, a body of believers who will stand the test of time, who will endure, who will persevere. Paul is writing as an encouragement to them. Don't abandon your new faith in Christ. Stay with it. Friends, you should remember that if you have a tough exterior on the outside, you might be able to think that you can resist Satan. You might be able to think that you can resist the temptations that he and his army will throw at you. And as a church, we must remember the same. But there are times where it's going to seem like he has the upper hand. And the rest of what Paul writes in chapter 3, he writes to remind them to stand firm in Christ. Stand firm in Christ. Stand fast with Christ. Ultimately, as Paul references several times in the Thessalonian letters, upon Christ's return at his coming, all is done, all is completed, everything is finished. And for Paul, he loves the church. And so as he calls them to stand fast in Christ, you also get the sense of what John wrote in his third letter. That Paul, too, would probably echo what John wrote. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children, the church, are walking in the truth. Friends, faith and persecution are going to happen. That's what Paul looks at next in verses one through five of chapter three. Faith and persecution is going to happen. And so not only do we walk together, but as we walk together, we also suffer together. Verse one, look at that with me. It'll be on the screen, but if you have your Bible or your device, look there, follow along. Therefore, when we could bear it no longer, we were willing to be left behind at Athens alone. And we sent Timothy, our brother and God's co-worker in the gospel of Christ to establish and exhort you in your faith that no one be moved by these afflictions. For you yourselves know that we are destined for this. For when we were with you, we kept telling you beforehand that we were to suffer affliction just as it has come to pass. And just as you know, for this reason, when I could bear it no longer, I sent to learn about your faith for fear that somehow the tempter had tempted you and our own labor would be in vain. Friends, we, we are called to suffer together. Paul writes, therefore, because I love you so much, because I am concerned about your faith, I couldn't stand it any longer. I sent Timothy. It's interesting how he tells them and reminds them that when they were there, they were told, they were taught. Paul, Silas, Timothy, they taught them that we were going to suffer afflictions. He knew that. If you go back to the book of Acts in chapter 9, where Paul is commissioned after his Damascus Road experience, meeting Christ Jesus, taking his sight away a couple days later, he meets up with Ananias. Ananias gives him his sight back, and he's there, begins the discipleship road and growth in Christ, and he's called then to go and take the gospel to the nations. Christ Jesus tells him that he is going to suffer. That did not deter Paul. It would deter many of us today, but it did not deter Paul. And he told the church wherever he went that there would be a great deal of stress upon the church as you get started because this was new and different. You're no longer talking about little idols here on the shelf or wherever temple you would walk to that day. You're not talking about making animal sacrifices anymore. 
Your language is going to change. You're going to start talking about a new and living God, a God who came in the flesh, fully God, fully man, a God who was raised from the dead on the third day in his walk and that that eyewitnesses saw. A God who ascended back and a God named Jesus who is coming back. But don't let these afflictions move you from being grounded in Christ Jesus. Just as we are family, we are also brothers and partners in the gospel. This is what you see in young Timothy. Timothy was a partner, a co-worker, a co-servant in Christ with Paul and Silas. And his message is one of encouragement. The tremors and the earthquakes of the enemy are going to come. They're going to stir the pot. They're going to try to deceive, yes, even the church. They may even try to break or shake and break the foundational cornerstone of the church. But our God cannot be moved. Christ Jesus is that foundation. He is the cornerstone and he shall not be moved. Which we living stones being built up in Christ Jesus must remain founded on Christ, based in Christ, turning to Christ. But Paul's fear, as is sometimes the case when suffering comes, we think something must be wrong with us or something must be wrong with Jesus. We're all thinking it was going to be a smooth ride, Lexus style. You know what I'm saying? Alexis style ride to heaven, but we quickly figured out once we started following Jesus somewhere along the way, someone put me in a Jeep with a high end low torque so I could crawl over the rocks and push through the mud, the muck and the sand. Not what I thought I was getting into. Some of you thought it was going to be a smooth ride, like driving up to Tivoli to get you a blizzard on that new highway. Somewhere along the way, you turned on 188 and started going to Sinton. Friends, we got to remember, we suffer together. And when we suffer, all the more reason at that moment that we turn back to Christ. The trials that the Thessalonians would have faced were multitude. Again, an accusation of treason, subversion to Caesar, trying to overthrow the Roman government, a misrepresentation of the faith of the church. False teachers create suffering. When they bring in a false gospel or a gospel that says Jesus plus something else. Suddenly, when it's Jesus plus something else, we start wondering if we're even saved anymore. But the trial is anything that causes Christians to suffer because of their faith. Because of their gospel. Because of the gospel that they have believed in. But we suffered together because Paul says, we kept telling you beforehand that we were going to suffer affliction. It's important for Paul to get that across just as it is today, because we begin thinking that God is somehow displeased with us when we face suffering for the sake of the gospel. But when we go about telling others about Jesus and sharing that gospel, you're going to encounter opposition. Not every time, but many times you will. That old enemy and adversary, he's always up to something. He wanted to make sure that that church in Thessalonica wasn't going to make it. He wanted to see them back down. But the maturity of the church, the growth of the church, it's what every pastor longs for. It's what Paul longed for for Thessalonia. 
It's what every Christian should long for. Growth in holiness. Growth in maturity. But it's dependent upon your commitment, your trust in Christ Jesus, especially when the going gets tough. Perhaps it should be our prayer, give me one pure and holy passion. Give me one magnificent obsession. Give me one glorious ambition for my life to know and follow hard after you. We sympathize and we pray for those who are suffering and being persecuted around the world, but we also have to take a stand with them in love. Paul continues in verse six, but now that Timothy has come to us from you and has brought us the good news of your faith and love and reported that you always remember us kindly and long to see us as we long to see you. For this reason, brothers, in all our distress and affliction, we have been comforted about you through your faith. Good news and suffering. Friends, we encourage one another when we face suffering by sharing good news. He continues on in verse eight. For now we live if you are standing fast in the Lord. For what thanksgiving can we return to God for you, for all the joy that we feel for your sake before our God? As we pray most earnestly night and day that we may see you face to face and supply what is lacking in your faith. Now may our God and our, I'll pick it up in verse 11 in just a moment. Let's talk about this for a moment. Good news encourages the heart of the weary believer. Good news encourages the heart of the weary believer. Good news is fuel in Paul's spiritual gas tank. Good news is fuel in the tank of the faithful. The good news of their faith. The good news that they had not backed down. The good news that they are standing strong. The good news of their faith. That good news of their faith is the same word that is used for the gospel in other places, as Paul writes. But he pointed three things in that report that encouraged him. One was their faith. Paul, again, concerned about their faith in the trials and struggles, but Timothy, Timothy reported that their, their faith is strong. That relationship, that attitude toward God, they are not backing down. They're grounded. It is their faith that is encouraging Paul and Silas. While Paul and Silas are alone in a whole nother city, that's a whole nother story called Athens. But their reception of the gospel is evident in that vibrant faith in Christ Jesus as it is expressing itself in the love for Christ and the love for all that Christ loves too. Galatians 5, 6 says, For in Christ Jesus neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything but only faith working through love. Genuine faith is not destroyed by trials but rather is proven to be genuine and results in praise, glorying, in honoring of Jesus. Genuine faith in the trial is strengthened and it leads us to cope. Friends, the Thessalonian church was not wavering. The second thing he says is love. Love is connected to faith here, but it points more to an outward demonstration of what's taking place on the inside. So our conduct with one another in the church in that they're doing well. It's faith working through love. And then he says, third, that they remembered Paul and Silas in their prayers, also longing to see them. Paul was worried not only about their faith, but worried that his reputation, that they might say Paul didn't really mean what he was preaching, which would cut Paul to the heart. If they thought, if he thought they turned away from the gospel because this guy so quickly left us and just left us sitting here. But they remembered him too. 
and they prayed for their, their journey as well. And then look at verse eight. For now we live if you are standing fast in the Lord. That's a word picture there for us of an army standing fast against great odds, refusing to retreat even though the enemy is in all-out assault. You want to know what blesses your pastor's heart is verse 8. For now we live if you are standing fast in the Lord. He wrote that to several churches. The churches of Galatia, he said, For Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. To the Corinthian church, he said, be watchful, stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong. It's like an army preparing for battle. Get ready and stand firm in Christ. This kind of news gave Paul a shot in the arm. When you are living and walking by faith, when you are standing fast in the Lord, it encourages my heart. It encourages those around you too. So share your story with us. Let us know what God is doing in your life. Let us know how you are standing firm in the faith. Paul was so grateful for God's work in the Thessalonians that he, he doesn't even know how to express it. James wrote that we should count it all joy when we face trials of many kinds because they produce in the believer a long-lasting, persistent faith that leads to maturity. Church, we have to remain faithful, loving, and steadfast in this. And it leads Paul to pray in verses 10 through 13 for the church. Starting verse 11, he says, Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus direct you, direct our way to you. And may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all as we do for you, so that he may establish your hearts blameless and holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. Here are Paul's earnest petitions, and so it calls us to pray together. We can always thank God for all that he is doing and all we desire to see him do. As we desire to see each other face to face, as Paul wrote in, help supply what is lacking in your faith. It's not that their faith in the gospel was wavering. It's not talking about a saving faith, but rather that their faith is deepening in trust and in the truth of God's presence with them and the truth and trust of God's word leading to that continual life-changing day after day growing in holiness. We are prayed for in scripture that we would continue to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. So it's imperative that we go to God for one another so that we will be blameless and holy before God on the day of his appearing, that is the appearing of Christ Jesus. And so he gives us insight into this prayer. One, he says that God would direct my steps to you. Specifically, back to the Thessalonians. But isn't that truth? That's the truth of Scripture. Proverbs 19.21 says, Many are the plans in the man, mind of a man, but it is the purpose of the Lord that will stand. Many are our plans, but it is God who directs our steps according to his purpose. And so we pray, Lord, direct our steps according to your purpose. Not the purpose of our pastor or our deacons or even the church body, but according to your purpose, Lord. May Coastal Oaks always be oriented 
in that direction. So, Lord, direct our steps. Secondly, that the Lord Jesus would increase their love for one another. Increase and abound. Paul stresses the church's need for that continual growth in love. It's present, but there's always room for growth. As new people come in, we find more love. Love appears most with all the other one another's in Scripture. There's a lot of them. We don't have time to go through them all this morning, but it's always focused on the church that we are to love one another. That happens as we love and follow Jesus. Our love for him begins to overflow in how we love one another. Jesus will not ever lead us away from loving one another and loving the church, ever. But the extent of that love is exhibited here by Paul himself. He sacrificed his sidekick, Timothy, to come to them. He's left alone with Silas in Athens. So our love for one another is sacrificial. Thirdly, he says, and he prays that love would drive him forward and them forward to holiness. May the Lord strengthen your heart. Blameless in holiness before our God. Holiness comes from God. It is his work in our life. Love and every other virtue we find in scripture comes from a changed heart by Christ Jesus. It's not about following rules but the heart set on Christ, an affection toward Christ, an abiding in Christ, believing on Christ that makes this life of ours vibrant. So he's praying for the believer's hearts to be strengthened so that we stand blameless. That's going to happen at the end. We hold fast, we stand fast in Christ. On the day of his appearing, we will stand blameless because Christ is there. Because Christ was blameless. How is that even possible? His grace. The ongoing work of God. We're not puppets in that. We have to continue, friends, to walk by faith. We have a responsibility in it, too. We are in this together. As God has established in Christ our status of holiness by declaring us righteous at the moment of salvation. He also makes room for holiness to increase. That we would live more righteously day after day as we follow Jesus. We are in this together as brothers and sisters in Christ. So as Paul wrote this letter with the imminent return of Christ always in his mind, Paul Desiring the Thessalonians to remain steadfast in Christ, his letter to us would be perhaps even the same. Not just living out their days, but growing as they increase and abound in a love for Christ and a love for one another. Friends, the beauty of the gospel promises that the Lord is the one who is ultimately responsible for this to happen. That he is the one that establishes us in holiness before God our Father. Our entire salvation is of grace. We will stand before God at the coming of our Lord Jesus. You must make ready and stand firm while this day is here. It brings great comfort to me to know 
That as I watch the news and read the headlines and the tweets and all the updates on social media, that Christ is coming again. It will be a day of great rejoicing and a day of great victory when we see the culmination of all that we have strived for as a church, the generations before us, the generations after us, however many more generations there are, when we will see a culmination of all of it. So I encourage you this morning to lift up your head as redemption is drawing near, as our, the return of our Christ and our Lord, our King is coming. Lift up your head unto the hills to see where your help comes from. The Lord Jesus Christ, the maker of heaven and earth. Thank you for listening today. For more information regarding Coastal Oaks Church, like service times, or what to expect upon your visit, go to our website at coastaloakschurch.org. May God bless you in the journey and the simple pursuit of knowing Christ Jesus, our Lord.